have an announcement to make to y'all, to the people of America. The mothership has landed. It's the classic guitar rock podcast. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. You're ready to move us. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border. From one end to the other and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now, your host... Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy Lunnan with my partner, John Dimke. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well. And uh, we didn't have a four-week break uh, between the last episode and this episode. That's, that's true. We did not. But it will be almost a two-week break. Yes, so we're we're slowing down in our old age. Things have happened. Things Holidays have, happened. have passed. Yes, yes. Holiday. Uh, yes. How was your Thanksgiving, by the way? It was wonderful. I had the family come over. Awesome. We had some good turkey and some really good cranberries. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we had a whole house full too. I I have seven kids. I've never shared that. I don't think I've shared that on the podcast. I have seven kids. You know, I think I've known you for five years or six years. I didn't know you had seven kids. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. There's a reason you stay away from my house. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, it was great. Everyone but one daughter and her husband were at the house. So we had a house full and it was it was a good time. Good time. I had a trip to Atlanta last week. That's what kind of delayed us. So it was good to actual, actually travel. I used to travel a lot for my job, but it's been since COVID, I haven't done any traveling. So this was my first trip in a year and a half. It's not fun, is it? No, it's not. It's not. Atlanta's a great town. It was a great trip, and, and I really enjoyed it. But I'm super excited to get back to to this episode. I think it's going to be fun. Our topic today, I still don't know what to call it. It's it's a pretty wide topic. It's really wide. Yeah, it's it's every time I discuss it, I call it something different. It's our our top 10 new wave flavored classic rock bands. Does that work? I think that works. Okay. Our top 10 new wave flavored classic rock bands is what we're going to do. Now, unlike our last countdowns, I have a power ranking uh, system. Can you explain it to me? I will explain it. So here's the way it will work. We will each share, we'll go back and forth sharing our top 10 classic rock bands with a with a new wave flavor, right? And then we will score them accordingly in an inverse relationship between the score and the order, right? So we'll start with number 10, but then the scoring starts at 10 and goes up to 100. So your number 10 song and my number 10 song, they're each worth 10 points, okay? The number nine songs worth 20 points. 8, 30, until we get clear up to 100. It's complicated. I had to use like a, did, uh, an abacus. Did you 
Is there a spreadsheet for this? There's well, you can make one. John will is probably making one as we speak. So the idea being is at at the end. So for instance, if you're number eight or or if you're number three, That's which would be worth 80, po- 80 points. Eighty points. Okay. Your number three is worth eighty points. Let's say your number three is the same as my number one, which is worth a hundred points on my list. We add those together. So there's a combined an aggregate score of 180. So at the end, the idea is we will have a unified, it's like unifying the boxing heavyweight championship, it's, the WBC and the WBA. I'm thinking more professional wrestling than WWE or, yeah, yeah, WWF. We're, we're unifying the WWE and the There's WWF. There's going to be one belt, or, one winner. Or WCW. It's a Texas cage match. Okay. So anyways, we'll come up with a, with a, at the end, our own thing. Now, and there's also a challenge at the end. Uh, let's wait till the end to, to yeah, talk about the challenge. Let's, let's it's going to be a give challenge. Give away too much. Down. No, we'll, we'll, we'll keep some. Okay, so I'm super excited about this, and I'm really excited about the bands on my list. I had the opportunity. Don't tell anyone. It was during work hours. I had the opportunity to dig in on a lot of these bands, watch some videos on YouTube. It was it was fun. Awesome. But before we do that. A couple uh, news items. We missed it by one day, but yesterday would have been the 65th birthday of Randy Rhodes. Oh. Yes. Randy Rhodes, of course, was the guitar player for Ozzy Osbourne. And Quiet Riot. And Quiet Riot. And he was really the, um, you know, after Eddie Van Halen, he was the one that 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 was kind of the next... Uh, big deal, you know. He guitar was, God, I think. Guitar God, very, you know, Eddie Van Halen style was very fly by the seat of your pants, right? He did a lot of cool stuff. If you look at the way Eddie plays, it shouldn't work, right? From a theory standpoint, absolutely, he, he's not playing uh, certain scales or whatever. He just plays cool stuff mm-hmm. and phenomenal, right? Randy Rhodes brought. More of the technicality behind what he's doing, there's a lot of like theory stuff going on. I believe he taught guitar for years. Years his, was his mother the owner of a music his store? His mother owned a music store and he had like 50 students and he that's what he did. And and we've talked about this in other episodes, but it's just funny that he was never an Ozzy Osbourne fan, or I shouldn't say that he was never a Black Sabbath fan. Gotcha. And so when the opportunity to join Ozzy came, long story, we won't get into the whole thing. He wasn't going to do it. His mom talked him into doing it. Hmm. She said, you know what? You need to do it. The exposure will be good for you and all that. And and he went and played with Ozzy and, of course, won the Guitar Player New Artist of the Year Award. And he was just making all kinds of waves in, in music, best new guitarist. He won every award you you could, and of course, in 1982, in in March, he he died uh, in a plane crash, which was a tragedy. But we've learned after the fact, uh, and I think putting pieces of history together, Ozzy contractually owed a album of live Black Sabbath material to the record company. Oh, did he? Or, or no, he a live album. He owed the record company a live album, 
And he wanted to do an album of live Sabbath material. Randy Rhodes did not want to. He was he did gotcha. he just wasn't into Sabbath. And in fact, there are only three Sabbath songs that Randy Rhodes ever played, and you can hear that on the tribute album. So that's why the Speak of the Devil album came out later in '82 after Randy died. He owed the record company a live album. He didn't want to put out a live album featuring Randy so close to when he had died. That didn't come out till like 87 when the tribute album came out. Right. But anyway, so that's why they rushed together and did the, the Speak of the Devil live Sabbath album. I didn't mean to go down that whole well, route. The thing I think about Randy Rhodes is he had Eddie Van Halen that was, I mean, he was, he had quite a bit of talent, I mean, amazing talent, but he was really pop, right? I mean, the music vein that he went down was, was pop. It was accessible. Yeah. And then you had, on the other side of that, maybe a little later, you had Ingve Malmsteen. Right. His is technical, classical. Super, he yeah. takes uh, violin concertos and, and yeah. trans, you know, transposes them to guitar parts. And I think Randy kind of bridges those I, two worlds where agree. there's a certain amount of pop accessibility and there's a certain amount of technical ability. Yep, yep, I agree. And he he was just a great a great player, and and he inspired a lot of people, and a lot of the shred, Ingve included. But the the guys that came later in the eighties, you hear you hear Eddie Van Halen influence, you hear Randy Rhodes influence, maybe some Ingve influence as it as mm-hmm. it progresses. But and and as is the case, you know, you could say the same thing about Jimi Hendrix, about Buddy Holly. You always wonder what would these guys have done had they not died so soon, right? Because these are some brilliant guys. No telling. I you know I don't think Randy Rhodes would have stuck with Ozzy much longer. But who knows what he would have done? He was a big time fan of the British stuff, like Mott the Hoople, the Kinks, the the King, maybe the Kinks, but like David Bowie. Oh, I mean, he was more okay. I get. Yeah, he look, was he was more into like. You look at his cotton costuming. His attire is right. more in line with David Bowie than it is with Black Sabbath. Absolutely. In fact, if you look at Randy Rhodes, and I, I, I don't mean this disparagingly when I say this. He's a Mick Ronson clone. You look at gotcha. David Bowie's guitar player. Gotcha. You look at Randy Rhodes. I mean, he kind of modeled himself mm-hmm. after that. But but he found himself in this heavy metal band. Quiet Riot, the version that Randy Rhodes was in, was much more party band like Van Halen right. than a heavy metal band. And he all of a sudden finds himself in this heavy metal unit, you know, playing Diary of a Madman and Mr. Crowley and all this very minor key stuff, which that's really not his, I mean, he was much more into the glam rock type stuff. So it would have been interesting to see, would have been interesting to Absolutely. see. Absolutely. And then one other mini rant. Okay. Dog on it, John. What is it? You know, I'm a Judas Priest fan. Okay. So uh, there's there's recovery program for that. <laughs> yeah. So so <laughs> I'm not offending anybody. I, I have been squarely in KK Downing's camp. Okay, KK Downing left Judas Priest like in 2012. It's been like 10 years ago. He left okay. the band. He starts a new band called KK's Priest, which is just a terrible name. <laughs> that is a bad yeah, name. They have they put out an album. Oh gosh. It's been three months ago now with Ripper Owens. Ripper Owens is the guy, of course, that filled in for Rob Halford when Rob Halford left Priest back in the 90s. 
And I was, you know, I always kind of sided with KK. I'd be like, yeah, they should have had KK come back and all this. But every month, there's a new interview about KK Downing whining about how he was mistreated, how he can't believe Glenn Tipton didn't call him. You know, uh, it, it was just all kinds of. And so I'm finally having to say this. I feel bad for saying don't want to offend anyone. Once you quit the band, you don't get a say in what happens, right? Indeed. I mean, I think there's this mythology about bands mm-hmm. is that everybody gets along and, right. it's, and it's for the art. <laughs> right. You know, it's just four guys that, or people that love each other and they get along well and they have a unified goal. And that that's baloney. You know, a lot of these bands are comprised of guys that left other bands. Right. Because they probably thought the band that they were in wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And they wanted to get to a new band. And that's that's kind of like the game that's played is like, and they got to make money. If they don't make money, they're going to try another band. Yeah. And and there's egos. I mean, oh, let's face it. Egos. Right. I mean, that's the that's the interesting. Like, let's talk about Iron Maiden, for instance. Yes. I always thought it was interesting. And who's the lead singer again? What's his name? Bruce Dickinson. Bruce Dickinson, yes. right? He is an airline pilot. And you think about two professions that are diametrically opposed. You have lead singer of a <laughs> metal band that's living on the edge of right. anger and frustration and expression. <laughs> and you have a guy that sits in a cockpit and goes to very carefully over a list, a pre-flight checklist. It has to be the picture of stability. Total yeah. soberness. You can't have drugs right. or alcohol to do that. It seems such a, I mean, very disparate um, occupations that guy has. Anyway. And here's what's funny. I was watching a documentary, and and on the one tour, can't remember which tour it was, Bruce actually flew the band. Oh, he does now. Yeah. Does he still do? I think they got They've got their own... 737 Their own plane with the... uh, Eddie? It's a... it's a it's Air a, Force six 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 or yeah. whatever they call. It. I can't remember what it's, it's called. A, it's a great big plane. I big think. old plane with Eddie on it, you know, and he flies a, it. Does he wear a captain's hat? I, I mean, if I did, if I was like a rock star that could fly a plane, like I'd have like the <laughs> the white shirt with the epaulets and the little yeah. little stripes on and the hat. And that's funny. Salute people when they came on board. That's funny. And and I think you're right. Uh, and and so KK, you know, buddy, I'm a fan, but just shut up. You know, if yeah. you if you're, why did you leave the band? Why did you leave the band? You, he's just whining about everything that has happened. And he, at first I was, you know, I was like, I would understand his frustration, blah, blah, blah. But anymore, every week there's a new thing about KK being critical of something they've done. Why haven't they called me? And Well, because you quit. Okay. And they'll say, well, Rob quit and he came back. Yeah, but Rob didn't quit and then badmouth the band the whole time he was gone. Right. That's all KK's done. So sorry, KK. We're still friends, but... Just, it's time to move on. So, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And with that, let's get into our top 10 list of new wave flavored classic rock bands. We'll do that when we come back right here on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Taking you back to the rock you grew up with. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast with Jeremy and John. Hello. Our topic today is our top 10 new wave flavored classic rock bands. Indeed. And so I I assumed that we would have a lot of overlap on our list. But now John has said a few things that really make me wonder. So we'll see. And so we're going to jump in. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on each band. We, well, we can spend as much I think, time as we I think want, we but. should first define what we're talking about. Okay. De- define the genre. How would you explain new wave music? There's two. And we've even, even talked about this. We've talked about U.S. new wave versus U.K. or Europe new wave. Yep. So you, you got delineation there. But to me, the new wave movement... I first think about Europe, but but there's a lot of great American new wave bands too, and and I, I, I it's not punk. There might be no. There might be some punky elements, but but it is a uh, it is a a departure from the classic rock. You know, think of the think of the mid seventies. You got Queen. You got Led Zeppelin. You got Led Zeppelin. Who's still creating music? ELO. You know, you've got you've got these massive rock bands, and then we get this new type of sound. It's typically they aren't playing long songs. No, they um, yeah, there's a fashion element. True, hair. You know, skinny ties. Whatever. I mean, you pick the band. Whatever. Right. It, depending on the band, but. So it's, but it's still rock, right? At least in my mind, it's still electric guitar driven. At least the bands I've picked, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still about guitars. It's still about drums. It's still about, you know, rock, but it's just a a different uh, style. So you think about the 70s. 70s had, you know, Led Zeppelin. They had the Who. That was the rock stuff. And you had like the singer-songwriter stuff. Let's yeah. say the Eagles is kind yeah. of in that vein, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you had punk, which never got much airplay in no. the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, you know, I think in the middle of there somewhere is New Wave. Yeah. But it's, 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 I think its feet are permanently planted in pop music and not rock. Yeah, I would definitely agree when I look at my list on well well most yeah. Yeah, I would say that. It's more it's it yeah, it tends to be poppier. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I like that. So, I think you went first last time. Okay. I'll start first with mine. Okay. And I tell you, I do have some honorable mentions because I can oh, never I do too. wind it down. I do too. Okay, but we'll share those before we announce our number ones. Okay? okay. So coming in at number 10 for me is an Australian band. It's not who you're thinking. It's Midnight Oil. Oh. Midnight Oil, who I first 
was exposed to them in about 1982. They had an album. I love the name of this album. 10987654321 was the name of the album. And they had a song on MTV, got some airplay. The lead singer, very distinctive. He's like six foot five, bald-headed guy, skinny, dances around really crazy. His name is Peter Garrett. He's actually an attorney and is actually... I can't remember his government position, but he's actually like a he's won a public office hmm. in Australia, and he's like the ministry is on the board of art and something, whatever. But um, it it was really the the Diesel and Dust album. That's the Beds Are Burning. That's yep. the one we all know from '87. Beds Are Burning. Was this about guns or something? Uh, the Dead Heart were the two hits. I don't know. But then my favorite Midnight Oil album came out in, a, in 90 or 91. It's called Blue Sky Mining. Oh, yeah. And I love that album. And here's a funny story. Okay, I was a music director at a top 40 station. And it was a little station in the middle of Oklahoma. You know, they didn't really care about us. But they can't. Payola is illegal, right? So they can't pay and, you to play songs. Yeah, tell me about payola. <laughs> so payola, in the good old days, they would just pay disc jockeys to play songs. Wouldn't they just hand out like a 45 and slip a 20 in? Uh, totally. That's exactly what they do. They just pay. Well, they, they made that illegal. In the 70s, there were scandals with them giving drugs. Plugola. Pl there's plugola. So, so here's what they do. Funny story about... Uh, the the guy calling me from the record company wanted me to add Blue Sky Mine, mm -hmm. uh, Blue Sky Mining, whatever the song is called. It was a minor hit. I liked it personally. I didn't tell the guy I liked it because I was working him, right? So here's what he said. He said, if you add this song, <laughs> I will send you the entire Midnight Oil catalog on cassette. <gasps> so I have at home the entire Midnight Oil catalog on cassette, most of them not opened. <laughs> because you know nothing holds okay. holds exactly. its value like a cassette tape from the 80s. <laughs> so anyways, I've got them out, but I did play the heck out of Diesel and Dust, which is the big album, right? And the Blue Sky Mining Company album, and they're both really good. Uh, they're they're great. Midnight Oil is my number 10. I didn't mean to talk so long about them, but uh, I like them. They, they are super, super, super political, and usually that annoys me, but I just, I just dig their music. Right? And, and something else that was really interesting to me at the time was they used, like, extremely Australian terms in their oh, music. Yes. And you had to go look up like, I mean, what I don't know is that? Yeah. what is a gungaroo or whatever. Right. Yeah, you I have no idea. Well, and the whole song, you know, the beds are burning is about Aborigines right. in, in Australia. And they're very much into the Aboriginal rights, which is great. I just typically, whether it's extreme left or extreme right, I just want to hear music. Right. So, these guys, I normally don't dig like activist musicians. These guys are very much activists, right? Uh, but I just, I like their music and I, and I've always kind of dug them. But isn't all music political? <laughs> it, it can be. No, it is really. And, and you know, it's not so much the music. It's the, you know, shut up and talk, right? I love Ted Nugent, but I don't want to hear him rant about politics between songs. I like Midnight Oil, completely the other side of the political spectrum. 
I don't want to hear them rant about political stuff. I'm here when I go to a concert, I want to get away from all that crap. Right. You want to enjoy the moment. Exactly. So I'll speed it up. I promise I won't take that much time on every single one of my choices. What's your number 10? My number 10 is an act I actually saw a couple years ago here in Spokane. Okay. And that is Blondie. Blondie. Blondie, Blondie came, is on my list. I didn't know they came to Spokane because I would have gone and seen them with yeah, you. Yeah, they came out. There was like a, a ladies tour, if I can say it that way. Joan Jett and Blondie and uh, Melissa Etheridge. Oh, that would have been awesome. It was a fun concert. And she's very talented. So I remember like the early days of MTV, uh, there was a lot of unattractive people on MTV. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of unattractive right. people. You know, they, they had their music and it was interesting and I don't know if people were so concerned with looks back then, but mm-hmm. but then you know Debbie Harry came on and she was re- she, stunningly attractive. Yeah, and she she was a Playboy bunny. Oh, she at was. one point. Yes, oh. she was. Uh, she, they're on my list too. Oh, so that this is our first our first okay. crossover. Okay. Yeah, and and I think correct me if I'm wrong. I think when she tours, probably when you saw them, it was probably most of the original members, if I'm not mistaken like chris stein who was her they're they're a partner they're they're not married but they've been together for years i think he's still in the band Uh, i remember she came out (coughs) she came out into the audience wow she had a a wireless mic on and she was it wasn't like the first two rows she was 20 rows deep in the audience wow and she walked around she's high five and i i was one row away from her and i tried to high five her but you know it didn't work I, i i love blondie so if you remember, was it the song Heart of Glass? Mm-hmm. That was the that was one that broke them, in the U.S. anyways. And that, I think that was the first ever rap that was gotten no, airplay. The no, first song. The rap song is rap is called Rapture. Rapture. Okay. Right. You're right. Mistake. That was the very first song with rap in it that got to number one. It, 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 was, it was very strange at the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. hearing hearing a white woman rap, yeah. but it was <laughs> hearing any rap on radio. Yeah. I mean, you didn't. I I never heard that form of art before. Right. And that was. I mean, I think that actually broke. That was a groundbreaking song. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that was that was 1980. That was the Auto American album that Rapture was on. And yeah, that was a just like you said. The, we'd never heard anything like that before. What is this Fab Five Freddy? What is this? The, you know, she's rapping, and, and, and I think part of her att- attraction or her attractiveness wasn't that she was just beautiful. It was that she was powerful. She wasn't going to take crap from anybody. Right. She was leading a band of men. You know, yeah. she wasn't singing doo wop in the background. She was front and center. It was it was kind of a fresh change. And and it's interesting because the songs that charted big in the U.S. may or may not have been the ones that were hits in the U.K. So like in the U.K., they they were popular in the U.K. way before they were here. And it wasn't until Heart of Glass, which was on Parallel Lines, which was in 78. That was their first hit here. But they'd been around since like 76 in the U.K. <coughs> Excuse me. I love them. That's my number 10. Okay. On. Awesome. So we'll have to... Figure in the scoring. Well, don't look at my list. Okay. Have to figure in the scoring here. Okay. So my number nine, I just realized I have a lot of female groups on my list. I have a few too. My number nine, how's this one? Till Tuesday. Really? Do with, you have with Amy, Amy Mann? Mann right? Amy Mann. Yes. I do not have them. Okay. 
I just love it. I love, in fact, t- when MTV had their concerts, their Saturday night concerts, I recorded the Till Tuesday one, and I watched the crap out of that. And, you know, the Voices Carry, Voices that's carry. the hit. Love in a Vacuum, there's all these. But it was just, I mean, I watch that concert all the time. And it was just a very, you know, Amy Mann's a great singer. The guitar player, his name is Robert Holmes. The guitar work was just brilliant. And it was unlike anything I'd really heard. And you get the combination of his guitar work and the keyboards and Amy Mann singing and playing bass. I just really liked him. And later, she sings on the Rush song, Time Stands Still, right? That came out in like 87, something like that, 88. But they were short-lived. I thought they were really talented. And I was kind of sad that they didn't, didn't last a little longer. But they're my number nine till Tuesday. My number nine is, out of Los Angeles, The Go-Go's. Whoa, okay. The Go-Go's were an all-girl group mm-hmm. headed by Belinda Carlisle and some other very talented ladies. I'm not going to – I can't remember the names right mm-hmm. now. But So when this band came out, it was – their visuals were a throwback to the f- late 50s. Yeah. Like these gals had, you know – Beehive haircuts and those long swimsuits and yeah, that kind of stuff. That was their whole. But shtick. it was it was kind of like a women's empowerment a little bit where you had there was no guys in the band. Right. There was no guy guitar player, no guy drummer, no guy bass player. And uh, I think it was uh, it was r- rather fresh. Like oh, this is different. You know, right. That's and I guess that's what I really liked in music back in the eighties was this is different. Yeah. You know? And we, nowadays you don't really hear a lot of different. I. Uh... I liked them, too, and I didn't even think of them. I got a Go-Go's Greatest Hits CD at home. Yeah, that's a great choice. Okay, my number eight, another female singer. And this is a band that people don't realize the musical depth, the pedigree of this band. It's Missing Persons. Oh, yeah, Missing Persons. Missing Persons, another Playboy Playmate, by the way. Is this like but, Playboy, Playboy? Yeah, I don't know. It was just top like ten Playboy playmates. Or <laughs> that's that was not my intention. This is a family show, but but the band. Okay, you got the singer Dale Bozio. Her husband is Terry Bozio, who played with a guy named Frank Zappa. Oh, he's played, a, he's a monster. Though. Yeah, played with Jeff Beck. Okay, another monster. And then you've got a guitar player named Warren. Curaculo from Duran Duran. He was later in Duran Duran. Yes, Cucarulio. Cucarulo. Cook. I think it's Cucarulo. Cucarulo. But he was also in Frank Zappa's band. Wow. So Zappa, he didn't hire slouches. For you to be in Steve Vai, right? Steve Vai. For you to be in Zappa's band, you had to be really good, and not just like good. You had to be. Crazy good, crazy good. I mean, he he would write songs in odd meters and just change every meet, every every uh, bar line would be different meter and yep. and he would put these guys. He would just write stuff to make it just really to make it hard hard for them to play <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and then they had they had a bass player that had also been in Zappa's band. So this whole band, you think of you know what are words for, which is a catchy tune. But man, there's a lot of depth and. And breadth to this band, uh, and it's really catchy stuff. And as you mentioned, Warren later, uh, when Andy Taylor left, Andy Taylor approached Terry Bozio and Dale Bozio about starting a band. 
Oh, that would have been cool. That's how Warren heard about it. Duran Duran didn't even know about it. He didn't even oh. know. And so then Warren sends a tape to Duran Duran and says, hey, I'd really like to join your band. And they're like, well, that'd be great, but we don't need anyone. And then they find out Andy Taylor was leaving. And then guess what? They call up Warren and say, yeah, come. And so he was with them for several years. Yeah. So when they kind of had that resurgence in the 90s. From the crying game. Yeah. That was Warren Curaculo who was with them at that time. So anyways, missing persons is my number eight. My number eight is Elvis Costello. Oh, how did I not have him on? He's not on my list. He should be. He's great. In, in my mind, that is the pinnacle. Even though I don't rate him number one, yeah, I think he is the new wave movement in one person. I I, I would agree. He plays the old. Was he playing jazz masters? Jazz masters or which, duo which sonics or jazz something masters crazy. weren't really high selling guitars, and no. they weren't they weren't the coveted pieces they are now. They no. were just like they're not Stratocasters, right? Exactly. So he's playing these kind of less Funky less guitars. lesser brand guitars. And he's not playing riffs and stuff like that. Mm. He's just strumming on that, beating on that thing. He's out there. He's skinny. Now he's yeah. gained some weight since then. He looks looks great. But but I think he really kind of embodied that whole new wave. Like this is this movement that I'm in in music is different. It's not Led Zeppelin. It's not I the agree. Who. It's not anything else. I agree. And he should he should be on my list. But I completely missed him. Okay. Good. Awesome. My number seven. Also a female-fronted band, The Pretenders. Oh, I was going to put them on. But they I aren't on yours? No, no I, okay. I, I, I was thinking about them. but Okay, The Pretenders. I mean, I mean, Chrissy Hind is awesome. James Honeyman Scott, who played on the first album. You know, Brass in Pocket. Uh, that, to me, that's just, that's one of my favorite songs. And the guitar sounds that that guy got, Telecaster, he's a Telecaster player, right? Mm. He was really good. Tragically, he died. In like 81, mm. 82, uh, drug, sad, very sad. But he was, man, he was great. He was really good. So, yeah. I kind of thought that that band was what Bob Dylan wanted to be when he was electric. I, something could, more I ex- could see that. Something yeah. more accessible than what he was doing. Yeah. That's kind of the feeling I got. It's like she had taken that band to a place where... Dylan wanted to be, I and think. and that could be. Uh, they because Brass and Pocket isn't a rock song. It's, it's not a rock. It's song. It's a folk song. It's. I'll give you that. This is a tangent. I was watching. I did not know this. I was watching. Can't remember the show. Sammy Hagar has that interview show on Axis. Have okay. You ever seen that where he interviews different rocks? People? I have not seen it. Oh no, I, I did. I saw yeah. one episode of that. Yeah. Anyways, I I did not know this. He's interviewing. Charlie Daniels, who just died a while ago. Charlie Daniels played on three Bob Dylan albums. Like the Fiddler, Double One Down to Georgia guy? Yeah. He played on three Bob Dylan albums. Wow. I did not know that. So he has this, talks about his time with Bob Dylan. It was just pretty cool. So that was my number seven, Pretenders. My number seven is a band out of England. Okay. And they are incredibly talented. Their music is very different sounding. It's XTC. XTC. Okay. I have something about XTC. They're not on my list, but I have something about XTC. And let's see. The, uh, the lead singer is Andrew, Andy Partridge. Okay. So later on in the show, I'm going to mention that band again. Okay. All right. I will. Okay. I You might mention them in the same time I mention okay. them, if it's the same little factoid. Okay. Okay. XTC is great. I don't know a whole lot about them. 
Very political band, too. V- very political. Peter Pumpkinhead. So here's another band. Didn't make the list. Didn't even make my honorable mentions, but they're worth checking out. Bebop Deluxe. I have not heard of them. They are very interesting. And one of those bands that just kind of slid under the cracks. There's some, they, they have a few, kind of like Big Star. You know, when you hear people talk yeah. about bands like Big Star, Bebop Deluxe is kind of like that. They're huge, and some critics just think they're the greatest band ever, but they just didn't make it mm-hmm. commercially. But anyways, okay, my number six, and here's where we'll talk about XTC, I think. If we're both doing the same thing. My number six is In Excess. Oh. Is that it? I saw them in Spokane here. Really? In 93 at the old Coliseum. Spokane Coliseum. Awesome. And it was a, I mean, that Coliseum was beat up. Right. They tore it down, I think, about a year later. It was, yeah, because I went to a ZZ Top show in 93. Yeah. There and that was one of the last. Yeah, you're right. I think by '94 it was gone. But yeah. they had. I mean, the set that these guys put on it was. I mean, they had a mastery of their sets. Yeah. It was. I mean, the stuff that they were playing sounded just like the records. Yeah. I mean, the mix was perfect. I mean, and uh, is Hutchins Michael Michael Hutchins Michael Hutchins and then the three Ferris brothers three Ferris brothers yeah and then Kirk Pingley or whatever his name and is. the bass player is John Saint John. I don't know. They've had a few, I yeah, think. But it was they were very good. Yeah. Very good. I was, yeah. I got I think it was one of those low dose shows so, where so, like seven dollars or something in ninety three. Wow. So what what okay, they they were number six on my list. Where are they on your list? Are they not They're on there? They're not on my They're list. They're not on there. Okay. So here's my XTC connection. Okay. Okay. So NXS was called the Ferris Brothers okay. for a while. They're playing around Australia. In Australia not a lot of people there, right? You could play in Sydney, you could play in Melbourne, Melbourne, Perth, you know. And so you'd kind of play that was your circuit, right? You'd play around, you play in pubs and stuff. And so like, and going big time, you might take a plane to Indonesia. There, there you go. <laughs> so they they had the name in excess. Uh they had a uh uh manager or something that said, Hey, let's let's call it an XTC was the you know ecstasy xtc you know they like the idea of these letters that sounded like so in excess that's where they got it they borrowed that idea from xtc so when you said you were going to mention xtc i thought you were going to do it in the context of in excess no but i was wrong i have a different mention okay so number six for me is in excess excellent mine is the i mean if if eddie van halen is one into rock and Malmsteen's the other end. <laughs> uh, this band that I'm going to mention is in the parking lot. Okay. Of, no. Okay. All right. It's Devo. Devo. Okay. Devo. I mean, he, that band was original. Yes, they were. You know, I mean, they. I remember, I remember seeing them. They had a Honda scooter ad. <laughs> yeah. I you know, and like. Honda scooters back in the eighties, they were red and plasticky mm-hmm. and they I think they wore the red those stepped kind of helmet things. Yeah, they the had. flower pot helmets. We are Devo and it was just brilliant advertising. They sold a bunch of Honda mopeds off of that. Yeah. And Devo. they're they're American. They're Akron, all American. Akron, Ohio. Yeah, very American. I I was I had older siblings, so when I was ten, okay, ten, eleven, I'd stay up with my teenage sisters. 
and watch Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. So my first exposure to Devo was on Saturday Night Live. And I've since gone. This is what's so cool about YouTube. I've since gone back to find that first time they saw them. And now that I've, I didn't play guitar then, right? But now I notice all the goofy little things. The guy's got a, a Boss DS1 taped to his guitar. Oh, yeah. It's actually taped on his guitar. And they would do these really robotic really movements. movements. And it's like, and they were singing the Are We Not Men, you know, D-E-V-O, you know, the We Are Devo, D-E-V. And I just thought, those guys are crazy. But that was my first time. I saw. And then, of course, in 80, they had the actual, the big smash album with with uh, Whip It and Girl You Want. I mean, then they were actually, like, almost mainstream. They were, they were like, it was odd. Yes. See, that's the kind of the music scene that I miss. Yeah. You know, not not, not they're we, all owned by Clear Channel. You oh, know. in ninth grade, we were out dancing to whip it. You know, that was that was the Don't big it. thing. Da, da, and the, and, the, <laughs> and I, I think I don't think my mother be proud of me that I watched that uh, video. Yeah. With, I mean, it's a bondage. It's like it a, it's like softcore bondage show. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. I'm watching this one. I'm like, yeah. It was pretty. There, you didn't catch that as a you as a ninth grader, but even "Girl You Want," you know, the the lyrics are kind of, oh wow, those guys are okay. Say repressed, you know, they're a bunch of nerds, so all they could do was, you know, think about girls. Apparently, <laughs> so they write this, or, uh, or build yeah. robots. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right, good one. That's a good one. Uh, they could have been on my list too. Okay, my number five. You've already mentioned is Blondie. There we go. So that was easy. Okay. What's your number five? My number five is, I think they're out of Athens, Georgia. I know who it is. Who do you think it is? I think it's REM. No. Really? It's the B-52s. Whoa. Where's REM out of? Are they Athens, out of Athens, Georgia. Too? Okay, B-52s. Oh, that's a good one. I think uh, one of the gals sang on... Uh, Shiny Happy People. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I love the B-52s. And the B-52s to me were like, if there was a band on the Jetsons and they came to life, <laughs> yeah, that would be there. That'd be yeah, B-52s. Totally. That's a good analogy. That's and, a good I idea. mean, you didn't hear a duo of ladies harmonizing, singing anywhere. And, right. Nowhere right. did you hear that. That was that was uniquely their stuff. Yeah. And the, the lead singer, uh, Fred Schneider. Yeah, he's got such a... He did not... Interesting. He wasn't singing. No, it he was... He was a, speaking. Exactly. You see the painted sign? At the side of the road. Oh, yeah, that's great. But the, it's like their older content. And it's, you know, like Love Shack was their big, big hit. That was the... But they... I remember listening to... Um, Back in the day, my mm-hmm. my friend was rich. Uh-huh. We went on a band trip. I think I was rich. Was his name, or he was rich? He had a he lot was, of money. He was rich and had a lot of money. Oh, okay. All so right. his parents bought him an Akai uh, Walkman. Oh, nice! And he brought with him uh, a splitter for the headphones, so you could both. Oh, cool. so I would hear the left channel oh, in one ear. Oh, so okay. <laughs> But he played this song, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah, Rock Lobster Rock and all Lobster. that stuff. And I, there was a few videos before, you know, the, the Love Shack came out in 90 or whenever that was. Yeah. But MTV very rarely would play some B-52 stuff. I love them. They're great. Okay. My number four from the UK, The Fix. <gasps> do you have them? I do not. Wow. I thought we did. We've only overlapped on one band so far. There's a lot of that's good. Okay, so I have the fix. Jamie Westorum is he's a he's a he's in the Andy Summers school of 
texture, right? He uh, he doesn't play guitar solos, but he's just got really cool, funky, and and the famous one thing leads to another, which people always think is a Strat. It's actually an Ibanez Blazer. My friend had a purple one of those. Shout out to Doug. Nice. He had a purple Ibanez Blazer. That's what he's using on that really chimey, ringy, uh, just just kind of that just awesome sound. And I think in high school, I played the, the school instrument uh-huh. was an Ibanez Blazer bass. There you go. So I have an Ibanez Roadstar 2, which is like, I don't know what the difference between it and the Blazer is. It's got three single coils like a Strat. The Blazer has three single coils like a Strat. But, but my Ibanez... Roadstar, it sounds more stratty than any strat I've ever owned. You know, it's just got really chimey when you think of single coil sounds, but that Jamie Westorm sound that you hear on One Thing Leads to Another and Stand or Fall, just not not overdrive, not distortion, but just chimey. It just I love his guitar sound. Love his guitar sound. Cool. Uh, so that was my number four. So you're up to four. My number my <laughs> My number four is the same name twice. Okay, so okay, so it's either Duran Duran or Talk Talk. <laughs> it's Duran Duran. Okay, all right, because we've had this conversation before. So Duran Duran, when they, I mean, they were a much better looking band that usually happened on MTV. They were they were handsome guys to their detriment, though, because people thought it was only the only reason they're on MTV is because they look the way they look. I think they were. They, I think they were very. I'm not sure how good of a musician. I guess they had some good musicians, but I think their mu- music hit us very, like a deep, um, like emotional thing in people to be, like wealthy and like smarter, kind and more, of, yeah, more There's worldly. A, because they weren't. These guys weren't rocking stages. They were on boats and, and stuff. They yeah. were in India. The they were fighting tigers, real. and they were. Yeah, they were. Totally. They were you know, moving sh- uh, spices across the so world. So is is John Taylor the bassist? I think so. There's, okay, there's, three, there's, there's three, three Taylors, Taylors none related. None related. John, Andy, and Roger, but not the Roger Taylor of Queen. He just was the same. Right. So John Taylor, the bass player, that dude's a good bass he's player. He's a very good. And what other band was he in? He was in Power Station. Yes. Yeah. He's very good. And I always thought Simon LeBon was a great singer. Yeah. But- in in the eighties, guys, a male, a red blooded American he man like myself, you would not be caught dead in a Duran Duran shirt. You couldn't tell your oh. friends you liked Duran Duran. Yes, but you'd secretly in the car crank up "Hungry Like the Wolf," you know, or or "Girls on Film" or something on your way home. Or you know? what, what was the one that had like the dystopian future in it? Um, oh, that was uh, was it Wild Boys? Wild, Wild Boys. Boys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It was it was good stuff. I'm I, I they could have easily been on my list. Duran Duran. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So we're up to number two. Speaking of number two, it's number three. Or we, number three. Number three. So not speaking of number two. My number three is U two. Oh, they're not on my list. Okay. I, that surprises me. I thought they would be like your number one or number two. I, Why is that? I never, Do I not know you? It's like I don't even know you, John. Because I didn't think they were New Wave. Interesting. I mean, they were British, and that kind of throws them in there, but I, I thought they were more of a rock band. Interesting. And I would, you know, they morph, right? So, for instance, 
you know, there are some bands we could pick on here. Well, the pretenders towards the end were very much pop. Right. To my but but they start out political. New well, new wave. Right. I mean I mean I mean, and you too can be political, but but here's the thing, and I get pretty worked up about this because a lot of people hate on on the edge, right? Well, he's not even he's what? Not, yeah, yeah, because what he plays is easy, right? But to me, okay, there are guys. He might not be the world's greatest guitarist, but I think he's one of the world's greatest musicians. I th- and and there's a difference, right? He used the delay. As an instrument, he did. I mean, he kind of invented this whole uh, genre, and and I maybe you would pro you would understand this more than me with your background, but I love songs that are cinematic, right? That that are that are set uh, uh, an environment, uh, and that's what I hear from the Edge. His music is very cinematic. You know, I think of images when i hear uh in god's country or with or without you or any of those huge joshua tree albums even pride you know you go back to that album he's just a very gorgeous lush cinematic he's guitar player so um i saw them in seattle Uh uh-huh they came three or four years ago to centurylink so centurylink is the giant football nfl stadium there in seattle and they had a gigantic video wall. And this is where they were redoing the Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, it was about 1987. That's when Joshua Tree hit. Right. And it was huge. Yep. You, I mean, you couldn't go more than about half an hour on pop radio, not here with or without you or our track from that, from right. that album. And there were like four off there of was that four. Album. I mean, it was yeah. huge. But that's probably probably one of the best recorded oh, albums yeah. of the 80s. Yeah. It was, it's a beautiful – I mean, you can – you know – a lot of um, stuff I listen to, I listen to one or two songs of it. Mm-hmm. You can actually sit down, put your headphones on, and relax to that whole entire album. I agree. It has purpose, it has meaning, and it's and it's and it's like personally political. Yeah, it's it's not like overtly like some other other. It's, it's not like it's not like politics political. It is about human nature political. If that makes sense, I know exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I just don't know the words to 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 put into it. And uh, so one of the things that was interesting about The Edge was they used a very special delay at the time called a memory man. It's made out of uh, electroharmonics in New York City. Yep. And one of the things he worked on, or his technique, is called the dotted eighth delay. Mm -hmm. So I wish we had an example of it. I actually have a delay pedal sitting over here set to a Mm -hmm. dotted eighth delay. But what it does is when you play a note, out comes 16th notes out of the end of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's those old bucket brigade devices. They had chips inside them. They're not digital. They're all kind of analog. Right. But it only had a certain length of time. So the when you crank it all the way to the right to the maximum length, it's all those mid-tempo songs. And they, I mean, yeah. Because, I mean, they didn't have more time. They couldn't make the song slower because the delay didn't fit that dotted. Exactly. Eight. So, so they when had you, to do a certain tempo. So there was a certain <laughs> tempo that they had to, you know, like, they're not fast songs. They're not slow songs. Mm-hmm. They're right in the middle. It's because of that. Edge was using that delay setting that they couldn't go any longer. Right. So And and here's the thing. He wasn't the first one to do it. No. Dave, David Gilmore, right? Run Like Hell, same type of thing. I think Run Like Hell is a, a great example of it, but... 
what the edge does with delay is completely. He took it it's, to oh, it's like definitely. a symphony compared even, to that. Even we mentioned last week I was talking about Ronnie Montrose and the group Gamma. Ronnie Montrose has some songs where he's doing similar stuff, but but like I said, the edge made it an instrument. And you know what's really cool? There's a really cool documentary. Daniel Lanois was the producer right. on on Joshua Tree. He might have been Rattle and Hum. I can't remember. Joshua Tree was to me. Obviously, U 2s done good stuff since then, but to me, that was the pinnacle. It is the pinnacle. Yeah. And so Daniel Lanois was the producer. He did an album with Emmy Lou Harris, who's known as a country singer, right? Right, right. Who's got sings like a bird, beautiful voice. There's an album of hers called Songs from the Wrecking Ball. They bring in Neil Young, who's singing harmonies. It's one of the coolest documentaries because they got some of that U2 sound, the delay stuff, some of that magic. But then you got Emmy Lou Harris singing, and it's it's really good. Oh, yeah. Daniel, really Lim, good. he came up with the, the shimmer reverb. Uh, yes. Yes. So, like, guitar nerds may know this, um. But shimmer reverb is like reverb is the sound, but it's not an. It's kind of like echo, but it's not really. It's kind of like your head, your 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 brain, your ears are designed to process reverb. Mm -hmm. So, like if you're in a narrow hallway, you know with your eyes closed you're in a narrow narrow hallway. Right. If you're in a a giant cavern, your your ears hear that. But um, he came up with this idea of putting an octave on the reverb. Mm. So what happens is, like, it really comes out in um, With or Without You, I think. Okay. So you hear, like, this kind of droning sound, and there's this higher pitch. That's that octave delay that he came up with. I think he invented that, that, that technique, shimmer reverb. And it's, it's interesting. He's a really smart guy. Yeah. And you see that on this Lou Harris documentary. But remember, we in our band, we, we played Pride in the yeah. name of love. And so John and I both have delay pedals. And you, it was easy to get your delays fighting each other. We oh. had to, we had to get the dotted eights synced up, or it was just a wall of noise. A wall of noise. But then also remember when we were working out with or without you, which the chord progression is really easy, it's, right? It's the still... bass parts are easy, but there's so many little goofy little parts underneath that. First of all, he came up with them, and then when you add the magic. Delayed, it's a completely different. You got to think completely different to play U two songs. That with or without you is on the four chords. Yeah, that, that the video came out with those guys from Australia, and they just yeah. do the same progression: the one, one five six four over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But yeah, I, that song is very easy, but it's hard to get right. It, it, that's the thing, and that's that sums him up, right? He plays things that are very simple, but they're Hard to get right, and their their entire YouTube channels dedicated to just recreating Edge's sound. Right, and one one treat if you if you have time is check mm -hmm. out on YouTube where the uh, they're playing New Year's Day. Okay, so it's you know uh, Larry on drums, mm -hmm. right, and you have Adam on bass, Bono or Bono singing. Mm -hmm. So the song starts with the Edge playing. The piano, yeah. the electric piano. He's yeah. playing dong. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay. 
And then the chorus kicks in, and he's sitting with a guitar in his lap, and he starts to play guitar. Right. And he's singing background at the same time. Yeah. Then he moves back to piano again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then back to guitar, and then he stands up and does a solo, and then he sings background again, and he finishes on piano. Yeah. Nobody does that. Right. Right. No one can. It's do. like you'd think Adam could go help him out because right. Adam's bass parts are like a monkey could play him. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, sing, Adam. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. But that that was mine, right? Number three was my U two. So yes. what's what's your number three? Uh, I can't believe you didn't have U two on there. Let me I just didn't. say that one more time. Okay, go ahead. I think they're more rock, but I, I understand. Okay. So mine, I think, is more idiomatic of new wave. Okay. There was actually a South Park episode dedicated to him. It is The Cure with Robert Smith. Okay. Uh, the Cure was one of those I was almost put on my yeah. list, but they didn't make it. So The Cure was, I mean, to me, like you were, you were with hair metal, you were, they were pretty predictable. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of music, they're going to have a couple fast rock songs, they're going to have a cheesy ballad with, ugh, you know, and they're going to have hairspray and spandex. Robert Smith comes out, and he is a weird-looking dude. Yeah, he is. And he's singing, whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's pretty talented. But, but cool, jangly guitars. I yeah. do love the Cure guitars. And who is his guitar player again? It's oh. changed a couple times, oh. but I, I don't remember the guy's name. But if you watch the early videos of the Cure, uh, Robert looks normal. You know, they oh, like this yeah. clean-cut-looking band. There's a funny video where... Okay, so here's the story. Any of the music shows from the 70s and 80s, sorry to, to ruin people's uh, uh, perceptions, they're all lip syncing, right? No. They, they never would play live. There is a video of The Cure where they all detuned all of their guitars so much that the, the bass strings are literally just... just falling off of the neck and the guitars are the same and so i'm sure they all decided hey before we do this let's tweak our guitar was strings. it like top of the pops or it something? was one of those or, or the whistles old whistle whatever that show is in england but but yeah it was old gray whistle or oh, whatever yeah. that. <laughs> but it's hilarious to see this the bass strings literally just flopping all over What's even better is the Iron Maiden video where they all switch oh, instruments. Yeah, I've seen that one. That one's awesome. That's awesome. That was like me and yeah. band when you had ne a substitute. Nico comes out and he's like holding the bass and someone else goes, oh, it's hilarious. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump into your – because the, the cure is great. The cure. Yeah. I mean, good. that's – to me, that is new wave. Yeah. It's something really different, you know. And I think – I think – with a lot of newer bands, I think The Cure has been an influence. I agree. And they still, you know... We covered, it, we covered a few of their songs, didn't we? We did... Uh, Friday, yeah. Friday I'm in Love? Friday I'm in Love, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I never could get it right, but I we tried. It was always <laughs> me. I was the limiting factor there. So that's a great one. That was your number three. My number three. My number two. I'm, sh I'm pretty sure this band is on your list. Okay. They're from Boston. Probably not. Oh, the cars. I, I was going to put them on there. But yeah. I mean, they're skinny ties and they got the weird guitars. Yeah. I I think, I think to me, they're, well, they're in my number two. You know, they're, they're great. They have the combination of the 
crunchy guitars, but they got the keyboards. Their keyboard stuff was pretty cutting edge at the time, right? Uh, you got the weird uh, deadpan delivery of Rick Ocasek. You know, it was... And you had two two lead singers. Two lead singers. There's not a lot of bands that do that. No. And and they have a unique sound. When you hear the cars, you know it's the, you know it's the cars, right? Yeah. So they're great. They're my number two. My number two is probably the let's see highest grossing okay. act of the eighties. Maybe not the highest grossing, but I think of New Wave. I think they might be the highest grossing. Okay. And they have a guitar player, but it's not much of a guitar player. Exactly. I know who you're going to say. Depeche Mode. Yeah, Depeche Mode. Yeah. They sold out stadiums. No, they're huge. No, they're they, a huge. I bet band. if I bet if they put out an album now, and then put on a world tour, I bet you they could still fill totally, stadiums. Totally. My only thing with a band like them is, are they live or Memorex? Are, are they <laughs> that too? Well, yeah. Are they live or Memorex? But 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 are they? All, most of the bands I've picked, you would hear them. Well, some of them not, but a lot of them you would hear on the classic rock station mm-hmm. here in town. They would pl- they play Beds Are Burning. They play Midnight Oil. I've oh. heard them. I've heard it on KKZX. Maybe not in the last three years because I haven't listened to them in three years. They probably don't play Blondie. They probably don't play Till Tuesday or Missing Persons. But everyone else on my list, I think they'd play. But they wouldn't play Depeche Mode. You're right. Right. So. I think they played them on 80 stations, though. Oh, big time. But, All uh, over the place. That's one band I wish I could see. You know? Yeah. They were they were really hot. I mean... Would, what would they... What is their visual... I mean, it's a bunch of guys behind keyboards. Yeah. So do they have, like, a laser show? Do they have... What do they do? I mean... I think they stand behind keyboards most <laughs> okay. of the time. <laughs> yes. Possibly. Awesome. I remember I was a kid, and I moved down to Utah mm-hmm. from Washington State down to Tri-Cities, moved down to central Utah. And New Wave was it. That was that it. That was it. I mean, it was Depeche Mode. That yeah. was the band. And then also you had the guy that laughed, Vince Clark. Mm-hmm. He does Eurasia and Yazoo. Yazoo? Yazoo? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yes. But it was like that was the sound yeah. of Central Utah. No, that was it. Was, it was either, it was either uh, uh, Iron Maiden <laughs> or, or Depeche, Mode. Depeche Mode. They should have toured together. That was that it. Been, they that's awesome. Okay, so... Those were our number twos. Number twos. Okay, now when we come back, we're going to share our honorable mentions, and then we'll share our number ones. Absolutely. Let's do it. It's all coming up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Such a fine line between stupid and and clever. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the final hour. (laughs) The final hour. I think this could be like a multi-part. To the final hour of the Classic Guitar Rock. Top 100 new wave bands. All right. So the topic is our top 10 new wave flavored classic rock bands. Okay. Before we go share our number ones... I'm going to just blast through my honorable mentions. Do it. We don't have to go back and forth. But I will say that 
some of these, I, I I don't know that they're new new wave, but I kind of I kind of threw them in there. I have the motels. Okay, I love the motels. I think Martha Davis just a phenomenal voice. And what's weird is if you go back and watch, the bulk of their work is nothing like their singles. And that's kind of what tore them apart is they get pigeonholed. Right. They have these three songs kind of mid-tempo, almost ballady that were huge hits. But they were up they were a pretty rough and ready band. I mean, they were pretty dark. They're pretty rocking, a lot of feedback. Lot, I mean, so their lot, their their hits were nothing like what they actually were like. But I love Martha Davis. She's just got a phenomenal voice. Nick Gilder, Hot Child in the City. Hot Child in the City, yeah. Now, is that new wave? I don't know. The album is. If you listen to the album, that's one of those albums. You mentioned this about you, too. That album, City Nights, it came out in 79, that's the one, or 78, that's the one with Hot Child in the City. Every single song on that album, to me, with maybe one exception, sounds like a hit to me. It's like, why weren't more of these songs played on the radio? Because it's a fabulous album. It's got tasty, catchy guitar parts, two guitar parts. You got two guitar players. Their parts are complementing each other. You can hear them in the mix really good. They've got keyboard. It's just... That's one of my favorite albums, actually, City Nights. And I guarantee you, if you go to a used record store right now, you'll find like five copies of it. So they're around. You know, you can find it. Nick Gilder. I love that. Now, here's the one that's, of all of them, this is really a straight-ahead pop album. Mr. Mister. That is straight-ahead pop. Straight-ahead pop, but I, but I, I wanted to give them a mention because Richard Page, who's the bass player and the singer... He had an offer to replace Bobby Kimball in Toto. So Toto wanted him as Toto's their singer. Heavy They're hitters. monsters. Yeah. He also, he was the first choice when Chicago wanted to replace Peter Cetera. Ah, oh, that's another Singing bunch bass of player. Yeah. yeah. And he played on, he played for, these are, uh, Mr. Mr. Were, they were kind of like Toto in that they were all session guys. Steve Ferris, he was one of the, at one time auditioned for Kiss. And Eddie Van Halen tells a story of Eddie Van Halen was actually pretty good friends with with Kiss and at one time wanted to join Kiss. That's kind of a funny little story. But he's talking to it was either Gene or Paul and they were playing him some of the the I think it would have been the Creatures of the Night album. And uh, Eddie was listening to various guitar. They brought in a bunch of stunt guitar players for that album. But Eddie Eddie heard Steve Ferris, who's the guitar player for Mister Mister, and was like, "Dude, that guy's a monster. Why don't Why don't you get that guy?" And for whatever reason, they didn't get him. I don't think Steve Ferris was that interested. But monster guitar player, you don't really hear it in the Mister Mister hits. But they're a really really good band. So I I they're not really new wave. So I just, I just wanted to mention Mister Mister. And then I have Tears for Fe- Tears oh, for Fears. I love Tears for Fears. They have some great songs. Great songwriters. Different sounding. Different sounding. Again, the complimenting two different singers that both have very different voices. Roland Orzabal. Orzabal and what's the other guy's name? I don't. If you hadn't asked me, I could tell you. Yeah. Roland, and then the other guy. 
But those are my honorable mentions. So let's hear your honorable honorables. So I have four honorable mentions too. Okay. My first honorable mention is the police. Okay. Honor. They only made honorable mention. The reason it's like I don't I, know you. I don't think they're new wave. I think they're reggae. They're uh, they're not reggae. They're ska. Ska. Okay. But isn't ska? It wasn't that part of the new wave movement. Uh, I mean, see, I they were very different. The first track I heard from them was "Spirits in the Material World." Okay. So it has that keyboard part. Yep. Yeah. So the first. Until the chorus comes in, you don't know where you don't the know one exactly. Is. Yep. So there's um, in synthesis or in keyboard synthesis, whatever. There's something called ADSR, attack, mm-hmm. decay, sustain, release. This is the the shape of the wave. Mm-hmm. So what they had done is they pushed the like the attack slightly back so that the attack of the note doesn't happen until after the beat. Yeah. So there's this always feeling of like you're falling over exactly. yourself down the stairs. Dun, 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 dun. So that was so unusual to me when I, I was like, who is this band when I heard mm-hmm. that song? But I don't think they're yeah, see, new wave. See, okay. To me, they're, they're new wave. Okay. I mean, I, I'm, okay. We'll just have to agree we'll to, to disagree. My second band, I'll oh. mention is the Cars. Okay. So we don't have to talk about those guys. Okay. Third Culture Club, they hit heavy on MTV. They had a look that got them airplay over and over again. They had a lot. Of it's and I saw um, Boy George came in concert here about five years ago. So I saw him. The concert was very long, and they had about five hits. <laughs> but uh, East can still really sing those hits. And there's a lot of. I mean, I think he was a very, very, very accomplished singer. Mm-hmm. I think they needed more music, but I think he was a very good singer. And my last, hang on, okay, you got, I got, okay, you got something. Okay, now we're friends here. Okay, we will never mention Culture Club again on this podcast. (laughs) Just so you know. (laughs) What if it's what if it's derisive? That 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 is the name that the name that will not be spoken. What is it in Harry Potter? That what if Voldemort? Yeah, you you can't say that name ever again. Ever again, never. Okay, (laughs) what's your next one? And my last one is another band from Australia, Men at Work. You know what? I really like Men at Work. I do. And and I don't know why they didn't come up. Because to me, they're I guess in my mind, they're straight ahead pop. Okay. But 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 you know. It's and, okay. Uh, what's the singer's name again? Colin Hayes. Colin Hayes. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. He's very good. He's got a uh, album that came out a few years ago. Uh, waiting for my new life to waiting for my real life to begin. Mm-hmm. Terrific tracks. I mean, the guy's super talented still. They were all over MTV. You remember uh, how often they were oh. on in the early days? I mean, they they had so much like international music on MTV. Yeah. Now, now kids have no f- reference for mm-hmm. reference. What? No, I really liked them. We played "Who Can It Be Now?" Oh yeah, in our did. band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of my favorites to play. And didn't you? You imitated the saxophone, right? You. I like didn't. No, Dave. Comb. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> No, Dave was playing it on keyboards. Right? Yeah, I remember. That was a good one. Yeah. Okay, so our number ones. Hang on here. Okay, number ones. Mine is The Police. That's my number one new wave tinged rock band. I love I love Andy Summers. Oh, my gosh. Is he Again, just... Again, just the textures, the crazy, crazy stuff. And you know what? 
a lot of those cool Andy Summers things, you got to give Sting credit for a lot of those because Sting actually came up with a lot of the chord progressions, and then Andy Summers just makes them sound warpy, you know? Uh, We played a few police songs. Did we only do one? Message in a Bottle, we did uh, Synchronicity 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. Synchronicity 2, one of my all-time favorite songs. That is a fun song to play. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're my number one. I, Stuart I, Copeland, man. Stuart Copeland, I love Stuart Copeland. He's a Washingtonian. I didn't know that. He lives in Seattle. He used to, I think he plays with the Seattle Symphony occasionally. That's awesome. I like him. He's, by the way, he is monster talented. Monster talented, and and it's odd, but he does not like jazz. He's got a jazz even, sentiment or sentimentality. Sense. Yeah, even though to me, I would think he would love jazz. But he, I remember reading interviews where he grew. His dad was a musician. His dad was a dad, uh, a jazz musician, and he said there were always jazz musicians around. But he, he basically said, I think those guys are all full of crap. You know, he's just it's, and that shocked me. But I think if you went to back to back police shows back in the day, he would never play those drum parts the oh, same way twice. No, he no. is he's doing jazz work on he, those albums. I'm, That's I'm just, what surprised me. You know, is that what he said about jazz, and then you watch him play. Yeah, he he won't. I mean, you can't. Yeah, he he doesn't play the same part twice. Right, right. He's okay. very frenetic. He's very, he's halfway standing up. You know, yeah. when he plays. Yeah, I I really like him. So, what's your number one? My number one, Talking Heads. <sighs> I, that's one I didn't think of. Talking heads are, th- I mean, if you th- if you think about it in your mind, you think about Ellis Costello, Blondie, and Talking oh, Heads. Oh, yeah. For American, for American, well, Elvis Costello's not American. But totally, yeah, they're huge. And David Byrne is odd. He's odd, but he's awesome. And I didn't realize this until I saw an interview. He's autistic. Or, well, it he, doesn't surprise he, me. He, he has he has Aspergers, Does which is su- a, which is a form of autism. I'm and my son has Aspergers, hmm. but, but there is a connection. Many of the most brilliant people have Aspergers, right? Hmm. And Aspergers is on the spectrum, but it usually deals with how they catch or 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 don't catch uh, social cues. Okay. You know, that's a lot of it, and and this this part where David Byrne is talking about it, it's just really cool because, you know, we think of of Asperger's as some people do as, I didn't mean this a podcast to verge into well, a discussion let's, of let's mental health, but, but, you know, people think of, of uh, whether it's Asperger's or any disability, we, we think of that as a, as a problem, right? right. Is it's, it's a disorder, it's whatever. But the way he p- talks about it is it's like, you know, it's just it's just something about me. You know, it's it's just part of who I am. You know, and I have I have a son with Asperger's and I have a son who's pretty severely uh, disabled. He has cerebral palsy. He's in a wheelchair. He doesn't talk. But but we've shifted our mentality as parents away from, you know, helping your kids recover or be healed or whatever you want to call it to. Well, why? There's they're not broken. There's yeah. nothing wrong with them, that's right? That's a great perspective they're to just, have. They're just different. And that's this per- perspective that David Byrne had in this interview. I didn't realize that he had Asperger's. But it, it, there's a connection between a lot of brilliant people that, that have Asperger's. And like I think Elon Musk, 
yeah. mean, there's lots of famous yeah. people that maybe even Bill Gates, I'm not sure, but a lot of people that are super smart have Asperger's. It's almost like because they have Asperger's, another part of their brain is like super overdeveloped or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. Talking heads are Talking awesome. Heads. Do you remember the first time you saw the video for Once in a Lifetime? Oh, my God. Ba-dum, dum, dum. Ba-dum, dum, dum. He's doing the sit-ups, and he's, like, all sweaty. That's one I saw on Saturday Night Live, too, before MTV was a thing. I'm like, what did I just watch? What was that? They showed the video for that, and I'm like, that was really weird. I love them. I love Talking Heads. I'm tired. It's, it's that's a lot of talking, a lot of thinking today. A lot of talking, a lot of thinking. We didn't do this by choice, John. This is our longest podcast we've ever had. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> All right, <laughs> you can cut me off. No, no, that's great. So, oh, we got us. We our scoring. We can't really do it because we only have like two. Yeah, I'm one of mine's an honorable mention. So we only have one band that scored twice on on our thing. So yeah. I was hoping we'd have more overlap. Then we could like. Rank them. I, I, I think, stack rank I think them. new wave is too big of a, a genre. I, I mean, guess so. I mean, like they just said, anything that's not rock in the eighties is new wave. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but you know what? I will say, I'm surprised that we didn't have more overlap. I thought we'd overlap more, but we didn't. And I think it's to your point. There's so many bands that that are, are in there or orbit around there. That it's just hard to narrow it down. John, thanks again. Let, let's let's put our normal plug in for the website. Yeah, check uh, us out. Check it out, classicguitarrock.com. Also, if you would like to be a sponsor, uh, check us out. You can email us through the website. It's cheap, too. It's Oh, it's so cheap. We shouldn't. It's so low, we can't mention it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Call for details. Call for details. <laughs> and also, if you'd like to be a patron, right, for as little as $3 a month, you can do that on Patreon. Uh, we sure love the folks that have supported, and we appreciate you listening. And we will see you next time on the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. (laughs) We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.